Amen, amen. First Kings chapter number 19, beginning in verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, you got 24 hours and I'm going to check you out. And when he saw that, when he got the message, he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I love Elijah. He represents the best of us and the worst of us. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. He's a conduit to the power of God, but he's also somebody that I can personally relate to. James tells us that he was a man of like passions, and that simply means that he wrestled with the same emotions and temptations and tests that you and I do. And so today, the passion that I want to pick up on in the life of Elijah that I believe is very personal to so many right now is this passion that I'm calling fight fatigue, and that's today's word from God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace, by your power, and by the anointing that is going to whoop Pastor Brandon in just a little bit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I thank you for your agreement with that prayer in every single way. Um, Anyway, up until now, you'd ask people, before COVID anyway, you'd ask people, how are you? And most people, you know, they'd say something real polite. They'd say something like, you know, oh, I'm fine. How you doing? Or doing well. How about you? Others would, you know, just say kind of simple things like, well, I'm busy. You know, like busy is the, you know, the crown jewel of living life. I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Other people, they would say before COVID, well, I'm tired. You know, I got a lot on my plate. I'm got a lot of balls in the air. I'm running here. I'm running there. I got housework, work, tra- getting the kids here, getting the kids there. Just, just busy. But, but now there, there seems to be something else that people are expressing when you, when you talk about how you doing. And, and people, they're saying tired, but they don't mean tired like they meant before COVID. They mean tired like fatigued, worn out. See, Pastor, well, what's the difference between the two? Tired used to mean that, that my body needs some rest. You know, I, I'm just running here and I'm running there and I, and I just got to get some rest. I got to get some sleep. I got to, I got to slow down a little bit. But, but now when people say tired, what they really mean is fatigued. In other words, they need rest for their soul. Their mind is exhausted. They are mentally fatigued. They're fatigued as in they need a break from all of the chaos and the upheaval, fatigued and tired of having to fight the same fight over and over and over again and seemingly see no results, fatigued as in exasperated, fatigued in like feeling like the fight is futile or fruitless, fight fatigued. First it was the COVID fight, the fight with fear. Am I going to get it? Does that sniffle mean that I have it? Is my cough the first sign of it? If I go here, will I pick it up? If somebody walks by me, do I have to treat them like a leopard leopard so I won't get it? Then there was the life adjustment fight. Staying home was cool at first. You know, no work, no commute, and don't don't need to get dressed, can stay in my pajamas all day. 
But then it became, but I really want to go out. And I, and I really want to go to the movies. And I really want to go to the gym. And I really want to go to the restaurant. And I really want to get my hair cut. And I really want to go to the salon to get my nails done. And I really want to go to church. I really, really miss church. That's why I'll be at drive-in service next week. I want to see my friends. I want to see people in person. I want to shake their hands. I want to, I want to hug them. I want to see and be seen. And then there was the family dynamic fight. Having the kids home for a minute was cool. It was great. You know, the kids aren't at school. You know, enjoying them. But then all of a sudden, it became like, can't wait to get these kids out of my hair. They're under my feet. You know, I, I need some space. And it became not only the, the fight with the kids because, you know, the house is now a wreck and you can't concentrate. And you, you say you're working at home, but you know you can't work really at home when you got 30 kids running around the house doing all that kind of stuff. And, and then it became, you know, I need some space for my spouse. That fight. You know, because the commute to work used to give you, and the time at work, it used to give you the time for the heart to grow fonder. But now your spouse is on your last nerve, and so the, the family fight, and then it became the quarantine rules fight. I understand staying home and socially distancing from one another to protect each other. That was all cool, but, but then it was wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Then it was touch services, don't touch services. Then it, then it was, I can't go here, but I can go shopping, and I can go to D- Home Depot, and I can go to, to Lowe's. And then it was, this place is open with 25% capacity, but, but this place can't be open. And this place, even though it's, you know, 100,000 square feet can only have 100 people, but that place is only 400 square feet can have 100 people. And it became the fight to make sense of the rules that are going on. And then, to top it all off, it became the racial equality and justice for all fight. Can I protest versus should I protest versus is protesting safe and will it spread COVID? And then it became the news channel fight and focusing on is that the truth or is that the truth and who can I believe and what should I believe in? Is it peaceful or is it anarchy? And it became black lives matter versus all lives matter. And then it, it was finally change is coming, but, but in another sense, maybe change doesn't need to come in. People are fighting back and forth and this party is God's party and that party is God's party and systemic racism is real and ah, it's all made up because it's just election season. And we need to find a, find a path forward to our national policing to versus let's defund the police and the statue should come down and then maybe people don't have the right to think. And it was just fight, 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 fight. And the more you just watched all of this stuff, it just became exhausting. Social media fights. You know, where if you believe this, then you're that. And I'm going to tell you all what social media and that, that fight. And who's telling the truth fight and the which information can I trust fight. Is it any wonder why people are now saying when you ask me how you doing? Tired. Fatigued. I need some space. I need some normalcy. I need some rest for my emotions. The conversations are repetitive. I hate having to educate people. It's straining. And then there are those who have to deal with fight on top of fight. There are those that in the midst of all this we forgot and have lost loved ones. And I couldn't be there for them. And the emotional fight that you have to go through, fight on top of fight. And there's this thing that I've noticed. It's fight fatigue. And because we're fight fatigued, we're dealing with reacting in such a way that we wouldn't normally react. I wouldn't normally clap back, but I'm fatigued. I wouldn't normally tell you off, but I don't have the energy to watch my words and worry about your feelings. I'm fatigued. 
I want to go back to focusing on faith in the Jesus that just does stuff for me. Not, not the Jesus that the world needs. Not, not the Jesus that'll walk through Samaria. I, I need the Jesus who blesses me and does stuff for me and makes my life easier. That's what I need again because I am fight fatigued. Enter Elijah. Israel has gone astray. They're worshiping Baal. And his prophets are ruling the day. There's a drought in the land. It's a spiritual sign of their sinfulness. Oftentimes what we experience is is a sign of where we stand with God. And Elijah by his word has shut up the heavens. God told him that at his word he will again send rain. And God is about to give him the word to send rain on those that have separated themselves from God and rejected him. And I think it's so beautiful and so wonderful. And I can stop and camp on that for just a moment. That even in our rejection of God. God still in his mercy sends rain on us. And then you know the story. King Ahab and his equally wicked queen Jezebel are on the throne. They have backed worship to Baal. Elijah has high hopes that he can turn them around and Israel around. The plan is a powerful one. He's going to invite all the prophets of Baal into the top of Mount Carmel for a shakeup of the system and they're going to prove that the God of Israel, the God Jehovah, that he is really God. In one corner are the prophets of Baal, all 400 of them, and BDB, Big Daddy Baal, all by all in, in that corner. And on the other corner, there's Elijah and, and God Jehovah, who stands alone all by himself. And what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to have this little showdown. Whoever's God answers by fire, he's God. And Elijah politely lets the prophets of Baal go first. And you know the story. They scream, they chant, they, they cut themselves. Baal doesn't respond. Elijah mounts the platform. There's, there's hissing. There's booing. Because remember, he's not, he's not popular at this time. Sometimes God wants us to do things that are unpopular. And he mounts the platform and he's about to call on God. But before he does, he says, before I do anything, I want you to douse the altar, the wood with water. He said, I don't want anybody to think that the outcome of this thing was rigged. I want to remove all reason that somebody has tampered with this election. I want to make sure that when Jehovah answers by fire, that you can have faith in the outcome. And the water is wet. And the God who made the oceans responds with fire that not only consumes the wood, but laps up all the waters and destroys all of the stone. Because when God responds, you know that God Response. And sometimes the sign that God is going to respond is he allows the wood to get wet first. Because, you know, sometimes if God doesn't allow the wood to get wet, then we try to explain around how it really wasn't God's intervention. You know, that, that, that well, that happened because, uh, you know, this and that and the other thing, and God doesn't get the glory. So sometimes God's got to allow the wood in life to get wet so that when God really does respond in our lives, we understand that it was really him. And sure enough, he calls on God, and God responds by fire. Israel repents at least for a minute. And Elijah gives the order to destroy all of the prophets of Baal, to execute all of them. The plan has unfolded just how he hoped. It's just a matter of time in his mind before Ahab and Jezebel and all of Israel bows their knee to God Jehovah and proclaims that he is God. It's just a matter of time between before all of the idol statues around come down. Elijah is having a Mr. T moment. 
Remember Mr. T, Chains, Mohawk? I love it when a plan comes together, but not so fast. Ahab goes and he tells Jezebel what Elijah has done. Not to engage her heart in repentance, but to engage her hand in repaying Elijah for the evil that he has done to the prophets of Baal. And she sends him a message. Here's the message. So let the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now if I was Elijah, come on, just call down fire from heaven. I'd be like, come on, Cletus. Bring it on over here, Cletus. She said, where's Cletus? Nutty professor moment, you know. Remember that? I had a story this off the track. One time I went out to dinner with Howard Cross from the New York Giants. He's the tight end for the New York Giants. You remember him, Johnny, don't you? Big dude, like, like 6'8", 310 pounds, huge. I mean, his hands were like from my fingertips to like right over here. And we were, we were having dinner together, and, and, and I asked him, I said, did, did you have any Super Bowl rings? And he very proudly, you know, he held up his hand like this, big giant hand. I mean, with, I mean, it looked like his ring could have fit around my wrist, right? And he held it up, you know, proudly displayed his, his one ring. I looked at him and I said, if you played for the Cowboys, you'd have five more of those right there. And he looked at me, he said, he said, I ain't afraid to come over there and wolf a pastor. And this is just as nutty professor had just come out. And so I took my fork and my knife and I held it up like this. I said, come on, Cletus. Come on, Cletus. You're going to walk over here, but you're going to limp back. If I was Elijah, if I was Elijah, Jezebel sent me a message like that. I just called down fire from heaven. I'm like, come on, crazy queen. Bring that stuff on. You are going down. But that's not what he did. That's not what the man of faith and power did. First Kings chapter 19 verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Why would he run? Why would he react that way? Why didn't he just remember that the same God who responded by fire would protect him and stand up for him again? Why didn't he fight on? Why didn't he remain in faith? Why didn't he say, come on, come on, bring it on? He was, listen to me, fight fatigued. Things didn't go the way that he had hoped. Ahab didn't turn around. Jezebel didn't turn around. And Israel would not stand with him. He fought and he fought and he fought. He gave his best effort. He mustered up all the faith he had. He stood his ground. He obeyed the Lord. He stayed true to his character. He wrapped his calling well and it didn't turn out the way he thought. I'm talking to people right now are fight fatigued because it hasn't turned out the way you thought. You lost your job. You didn't get the $600 a month unemployment check. You watched history repeat itself all over again. You lost a loved one. Those you thought would understand don't understand. Your marriage was going well until it wasn't. Graduation didn't happen. Justice wasn't served. The pastor didn't preach the message you thought he should. Your friend was not by your side. You're being lumped in with all the bad apples. You're emotionally spent. Your energy is depleted. You're running on E. You're fight fatigued. Not sure if that's you. How do you know if you're fight fatigued? Look again at verse number three. 
And when he saw that, he arose. He ran for his life. He went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down underneath a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. He acted irrationally. He had a meltdown. He ran away from his responsibilities. He distanced himself from people. He threw in the towel. He went off on somebody on social media. He didn't care what he said and how he said it. Didn't care what the outcome was because he was fight fatigued. If that's you, you're tuning into the right channel right now. If that's not you, you're still tuning into the right channel because you will need this message someday, sometime. How can we combat fight fatigue? I call this the Iceman solution. The Iceman solution. Anybody know who Robert Matthew Van Winkle is? Y'all know who Robert Matthew, Matthew Van Winkle, you know who that is? You know who that is? Robert Matthew Van Winkle. Anybody know who that is? Come on, y'all. You know who that is? Robert Matthew Van Winkle. Anybody know who Vanilla Ice is? Robert Matthew Van Winkle. That's his name. And he was famous for the song Ice Ice Baby. Y'all remember the song back in the day? And one of the lines, and it says, stop, collaborate, and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. And I thought for sure that the line actually said, stop. Take a look and listen. And then I went to look at the lyrics and it said, stop, collaborate, and listen. And I had built my whole sermon around stop, take a look, and listen. So I'm going with that. That's, that's the ice man solution, right? It's, it's stop, take a look, and listen. How do we overcome fight fatigue? Number one, stop. Pause. Fight fatigue has gripped Elijah with irrational fear. He has every reason to have faith in God's protection after calling down fire from heaven, but instead he runs for his life because of Jezebel's threat. And see, that's what fight fatigue will do to you. It will make you irrational. It will send your mind into a a tailspin. And so Elijah ran all the way from Jezreel to Bathsheba, a place where he should have felt protected because remember the scripture said it belonged to Judah. Jehoshaphat, one of the best kings that Israel ever has, is ruling in Judah at this time. And Elijah goes from Jezreel, which is being run by Ahab and Jezebel, a place that is not safe for him in his mind, to Bathsheba, which is belongs to Judah, with Jehoshaphat reigns. And he should feel safe there, but he kept running. What he did when he got there is he dropped his servant off. At Bathsheba, the Bible says. Because when you're fight fatigued, sometimes you need to create some distance between you and some of the people around you, even the people that you love. Because you don't want to snap back at them. You don't want to clap back at them. You don't want to get in the, you don't want to get into it with them. So sometimes you've got to create some distance. Abraham did. When did Abraham do that? Remember when Abraham went up to sacrifice Isaac? He brought a servant, and he told the servant, you wait here, and me and the lad will go up and worship, and then we'll come back after that. He distanced himself. 
Remember Jesus? He asked the disciples to watch and pray with him, but he left them here outside the garden and he went further into the garden because when you're fight fatigued, sometimes you've got to distance yourself from people. And so he leaves his servant in Bathsheba and he runs into the wilderness and then he stops. He stops and he pauses from the fight and in his humanity, He verbally vomits all over God. God is the best person to verbally vomit all over. If we verbally vomited more on God and less on people, we'd be better off. Here's the reason, because when we verbally vomit on people, they don't always understand. So what they do is they they clap back. They attack back. They, They respond back. Because they don't realize that it's a, a verbal vomit that is the result of the fight fatigue that we are in. They, they're emotional creatures just like us. And they're not looking to give you the grace that God looks to give us. Elijah verbally vomits all over God. And he says, God, take me. God, I want to die. I'm no better than anyone else. I tried to bring Israel back. And just like they rejected everybody that went before me, they rejected me. My fight wasn't worth it. My energies were in, were in vain. Take my life. I'd rather die by your hand, God, than at the hand of Jezebel. And you know what I love about God? He doesn't answer his prayer. Isn't that amazing? We should be so grateful sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayer. God doesn't answer his prayer. He doesn't take Elijah home. And thank God he doesn't answer our prayer some of the time. Thank God he understands sometimes that we pray in frustration and he allows us to vent. And thank God he knows what's best for us even when we don't know what's best for us. And what I love about God is not only doesn't he answer his prayer, but he never answers his prayer because Elijah never dies. He's one of the only two people in all the Bible who says, and he walked one day and wasn't. He never experienced. You think about how good God is. Here, here Elijah is, he's verbally vomiting all over God. And God doesn't not just answer that prayer, but God says, in your, you know, emotional distress, in your fight fatigue, I'm going to do so much more for you than you could have ever even asked me for. What I'm going to do is I'm never going to allow you to die about how good God is. Instead of answering his prayer, instead of engaging in foolish dialogue with him, by, by the way, the Bible says, let the foolish be foolish still. Let the ignorant be ignorant still. And, and, and we take that a lot of times when we take it as well, they're just ignorant, you know, let them, be, you know, and we take it like as an insult. But I think it, it's also talking about don't engage people when they're at a place where they're fatigued. Don't engage people when they're just ranting. They're not, they're, you can't have a rational conversation in the middle of a rant. And so what does God do? God, God lets him sleep. He says, sleep it off. Sometimes you got to sleep some stuff off. And then God sends an angel who gives him angel food cake. That's in the Bible. And Elijah gets up and he finds the angel food cake and the angel brings him breakfast in bed and puts some food by his head. 
Get some breakfast in bed, put some food by his head. Watch this. Verse number five. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and he said to him, arise and eat. And then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and he touched him and he said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. I think it's so significant that when he woke up, the food, the bread was by his head. And here's the reason, here's where we really begin to see the power of the pause when we are fight fatigued. The power of stopping, the purpose of withdrawing, because if you cannot rest and get your mind right, you can't be any good. We weren't built to continually fight. If you continually fight, you won't be right. Listen to me. Let me say it again. If you continually fight, you will not be right. God never created us to be fight, 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 fight. If all you do is fight, 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 you will not be right. A prize fighter goes into the ring, has an epic battle. Most of them don't get back in the ring for another year. And the reason is because every time you fight, even when you're fighting for what is right, it takes something out of you. And so if you go into a fight and come out of a fight and go right back into a fight and come out of a fight and go right back into a fight and come out of a fight, go right back into a fight and come out of a fight, you ain't going to be right. Because we all know that fatigue can have a lasting effect on our mental faculties. It can make you short with people instead of patient with people. It can make you assume the worst instead of in love thinking the best. It can make you angry and intolerant of people's stupidity instead of responding like God does, which is to give us grace when we act like a fool. The angel places the bread by his head. Look at that. If you fight, you won't be right. The bread by his head. I'm a poet. You don't know it. Look at the chicken. I'm just killing it. See, we need to pause when we are fight fatigued, and instead of pushing forward and being irrational, we need to pause long enough to get to the bread of life or the word of God, which has the right effect on our minds. It renews our soul. It renews our mind. Listen to me. Pause from the news cycle. I dare you to fast the news for a week. I just dare you right now, in the middle of everything that's crazy going on, in the middle of all your fight fatigue, in the middle of all your anger, in the middle of all your clapping back at this one and that one and the other one, I just dare you, just fast the news for one week and watch what will happen to your mind and your soul and your love for your neighbor and your care for other people if you just pause long enough to get your mind right. Pause from social media for a minute. Pause from constant conversation that causes your blood pressure to rise. Pause and put the word of God in your soul. Let it renew your mind. Let it refresh you so that you are fit for the fight instead of fight fatigued. You need more gospel and less media. You need more word and less news watching. You need more faith than you do FaceTime. You need more personal time with God than you need politics in your life. Stop and spend time with the Savior and shake yourself free of the responding in stupidity. Stop. Second part of 
second phase, we'll call it phase two of fighting fatigue. Take a look. Stop. Take a look. Notice verse number, I think it says eight. It's a little small in my book. They got to get these letters a little bit bigger. And Blake, you don't laugh because you saw 600 up there. There's only 200 up there, but you saw six, so, so don't laugh. Anyway, verse number eight says, So he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, obviously, he wasn't physically fatigued because he was able to go 40 days, 400 miles, you know, into the mountain of God. Many scholars believe that this was the same cave or cleft of the rock where the Lord hid Moses when the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed his name. This is where Moses' eyes were opened and he was able to see God. And this tells us that we, when we are fight fatigued, we have to be willing to take a look at things. We have to be willing to look with spiritual eyes, to look at at the things the way that God sees them. Over and over, the scripture tells us that we need to have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And this means that what is being said and what is being seen is not all there is to see and be said. That God's perspective and God's message might just be a little bit different. Elijah's son in the faith, Elijah, learned this lesson of looking from Elijah. After all, when he was surrounded by enemies' armies and his, his servant, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going to get us. They're going to get us. He prayed, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. What are some of the things that we should be asking God to help us to see when we are fight fatigued? How about seeing the good in other people? Everyone else saw a shepherd boy in David. God saw a king. Everyone else saw a prostitute in Mary. Jesus saw one who loved much. Everyone else saw a tax collector in Zacchaeus. Jesus saw somebody who he wanted to have lunch with. Everybody saw a a failure in Peter who forsook him at his time of need. Jesus saw a pillar of the faith. Everyone else saw a murderer in, in Saul. Jesus saw the apostle Paul. How about asking God in the middle of our fight fatigue to help us to see the good in other people? How about asking God to help us to see the pain that others are experiencing. It's amazing how we can understand or extend grace when we ask God, show us their pain. Look, people weren't invented. People weren't created, not invented. People weren't created to be fools. They just weren't. When, when people are acting crazy, when people are acting like fools, Chances are there's some pain that is there. And on all this on the outside is usually a cover up for what's hurting on the inside. How about we ask God, help me to see the pain. Everyone saw a woman caught in adultery. Jesus saw the, the, her pain. He saw her shame and he set her free. Everyone else saw a woman that was married five times and living with a sixth man who wasn't her husband. Jesus saw a woman who was dealing with pain and a person who could evangelize and set free an entire city. By the way, Jesus became her seventh man, the one that perfected her. How about we ask God, help me to be somebody's seventh man. Help me to be somebody's seventh person, the one that, that helps them to get past the pain. 
and live in the place where they can be everything that you've created them to be? How about seeing the blessings that are in our life? How about seeing the good in our nation and not just the things that need to be fixed? How about seeing people's need for Jesus and the corresponding compassion that it should elicit in our heart? Elijah had to stop so he could see because when he was fight fatigued, all he could see is I'm the only one left. Nobody else loves God, just me. By the end of his quarantine time in the cave, he learned he wasn't the only one left. That God had reserved 7,000 other prophets that wouldn't bow their knee to bow. By the end of his time with God, he came out seeing correctly. Stop, take a look, and lastly, listen. Listen to the voice of God. Elijah is in a cave and God speaks and he says, notice verse number nine, and there he, he went into a cave and he, he spent the night and a day in that place. How many of you have ever been in a cave of your own making? Sometimes God didn't put us in no cave. Sometimes we, we get in a cave of our own making because we're looking at the wrong stuff and we're listening to the wrong stuff and we're coming to all these crazy conclusions and we're getting a cave of our own making. And there he was in a cave and he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Do you know what I found out? One of the ways that you can tell God is talking to you is when he talks to you about you. Because so many times we, you know, these people, I got a word for you. I got a word for you. I got a word for you. And I'm like, man, you got a lot of words for everybody else. How come you ain't hear what God's got to tell you? Because you got a lot of issues that need to be figured out right here. And I found out that the way that you can tell God is talking to you is if God is talking to you about you. What are you doing here, Elijah? Not what is everybody else doing. Not what do you need to fix in everyone else. Not how bad is this one and that one, but what are you doing here? The voice of the Holy Spirit will speak to you about fixing you. Didn't Jesus say something like that? He said, first get the plank, the two by four, out of your own eye before you worry about the speck that is in your neighbor's Oh, how our world would change for the better if we were more concerned with fixing us than we were about fixing everybody else. Well, this is good stuff right here. It's straight from the throne of God. And Elijah answers the question, what are you doing here? Notice how he answers the question. So he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Notice how he answers the question by telling God about everybody else. But God didn't ask him, how's everybody else doing? He said, what are you doing here? And then God speaks to him and says, get out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. And God moves him from the cave to the mountain. Why? What's a cave? A cave is an echo chamber, by the way, right? If you're in a cave and you go, hello, he goes, hello, 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 hello. Seconds. And when you're in a cave, you can hear the echo repeat itself over and over again. 
but you can't get signal in a cave because it blocks everything else from coming in. And so God moves him so God could speak to him. So God could get him away from the echo chamber of the world that keeps playing over and over in his head. I said it before, but I'll say it again. Get away from the echo chamber of the news over and over and over and over again. Get away from the echo chamber of politics. Get away from the echo chambers of extremes and listen to the voice of God. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was. When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in a mantle and went over and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him. Think about this for a moment. This, this passage amazes me. If your breath had the power to cause mountains to rumble, and some of y'all breath does. No, I'm just playing. Just playing. That's funny right there. Sorry. If, if your words had the power to cause mountains to crumble, wouldn't you want recognition for that? But the text says God, God wasn't in the wind. If you could stop your foot and cause an earthquake, wouldn't that be how you announced yourself? If you could make fire appear out of nothing without even using a door flame, what, what, wouldn't that be how you If I was God, I was like, y'all remember that time when I, you called down fire? Here you go. Just want to scorch you a little bit, Elijah. But the Lord wasn't in any of that. Instead, God speaks to Elijah with the original language says, silence that can be heard. I could, I could have preached right from that little text right there. Silence that could be heard, a.k.a. a whisper. Here is God, and he possesses the ability to communicate through all of these dramatic means, yet he chooses to communicate with us through a whisper. Why the whisper? Furthermore, why, why does he choose that way with us? Why in this, this world that we face, where everything is speaking so loudly and so demonstratively, does God, who has the ability to speak louder than all that, choose to do so in a whisper? First, because he wants us to tune out all the noise so that we can hear his voice. God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not competing with anybody. I'm not going to shout over everyone. What I need you to do is I need you to learn to tune out all of the noise so that you could hear my voice. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? He said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. I'm wondering if God's sheep really know his voice. Because it seems to me by the reaction of many Christians during all of this, that they know the voice of their political party. That they know the voice of their favorite news anchor. But they don't know the voice of their savior. And here's what God is saying. If you want to hear my voice, you've got to tune out all the noise because I'm going to speak in a whisper. Silence that can be heard. 
You know, in Bible times, many of the sheep of the different shepherds would all mingle together. Just like us in the world, we, we all mingle together. But when it was time for the shepherd to gather his sheep, he had a unique call that only his sheep would know. And he would make that call and they would come running to follow him. They knew his voice. Why does God speak in whispers? Because God wants us to know he's close. You see, the enemy can only come so far. So he has to shout. The reason why the enemy needs a megaphone is because when you're a child of God, he can only come but so far. So he has to shout loud to get your attention. But God walks right beside you the whole way. So God doesn't need to shout. And so God can just whisper in your ear. And the reason why God whispers is because he wants you to know that amongst all of the noise and all of the chaos, that he is right there by your side, walking step by step, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, that the God who can respond with earth, wind, and fire chooses to respond with a still, small voice. I'm here. I know you're fight fatigued. But if you'll just follow me, I promise I'll get you to the other side of this thing. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as there are many that I I just know in my spirit are fight fatigued. They're mentally spent. They don't have the energy that it takes to fight and fight, fight and fight. That, Father, they would come to you. They would stop, take a look and listen. So they could be refreshed in their mind. So they could give their energies to the things that you've called them to. That they could fight the right way and not the wrong way. So they could speak with supernatural strength and not out of stupidity. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would refresh those that are fatigued right now. And maybe you're watching right now and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have never heard the whisper of God calling you to give your heart to him. The whisper of God speaking to you above all the noise of the world that says, come on to me, all ye who are heavy laden, for I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My my burden is light. Jesus came to elite alleviate you of the burden of sin. Set your soul free so that you could be saved. All you need to do is surrender your life to him. If that's you right where you are, say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin as I repent of it. And I say I'll never be the same as I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. In his name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you made right with God that if you were to die this moment, this second, you'd spend eternity in heaven. 
but that you have now a helper in this world called the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. God is now your partner all throughout life, every step of the way. If you say, said that prayer, we want you to respond so we can reach out to you. If you're watching church online, there's a little button that says, I raised my hand. Just click it. We'll reach out to you. If you're watching on some other platform, type the word Jesus in the chat and we'll reach out to you. We love you, but God loves you more than you'll ever know. We'll see you again next week. God bless you.